Hello and welcome to this week's Skeptical Reporter. My name is Miruna from the Skeptics in Romania podcast and I'm bringing you news on science and skepticism from around the world. A faith-healing Washington couple accused of being criminally responsible for their teenage son's death for failing to call a doctor have been acquitted on second-degree murder charges. The couple's son, Zachary Sweezy, was 17 when he died at his Carlton home of a ruptured appendix in March 2009. Jurors were told the couple, Jalia and Greg Sweezy, belonged to the Church of the Firstborn, which believes in faith healing. The Sweezys told investigators the boy chose not to see a doctor and that they thought he had a flu. The couple did call church elders to pray for him and anoint him with olive oil. The Okanagan County Superior Court jury also acquitted Jalia Sweezy of first-degree manslaughter, but couldn't reach a verdict for Greg Sweezy on that count. A mother from East Yorkshire made slaves of her two children and forced them to work for gypsies rather than go to school after a fortune teller told her it was the right thing to do. Within weeks of meeting the fortune teller, Linda Clappison started locking her son and daughter, then aged 10 and 6, in their rooms and assaulting them. She fed them only sandwiches and took the light bulbs, toys and all mattresses and bedding from their rooms, leaving them needing hospital treatment for frostbite. She was found guilty of two child cruelty charges. She was jailed for 18 months concurrently on each charge. Judge Michael Metier described the case as tragic. He also praised the children who gave evidence against their mother. The trial heard that the mother of four forced her two youngest children to work for gypsies as slaves after falling under the spell of a fortune teller. Her son, Andrew Clappison, now aged 18, told the trial, We were treated like dogs. After her daughter, now aged 13, told the court her mother had shaved her hair at least five times as punishment, Clappison said the girl wanted to look like Britney Spears. The judge said he could not help but have sympathy for Clappison because he believed something had happened in her life to make her think in a strange and illogical way. In Australia, a Victorian court has ruled a former Melbourne dentist who claims he is able to cure cancer using alternative therapies has been deceiving patients. Noel Campbell is the sole director of Operation Smile, which runs the Hope Clinic offering alternative therapies to treat the often fatal disease. While he claims to be a doctor, he is not a medical doctor but rather a former dentist. The clinic offers the use of photodynamic and ozone therapies, vitamins and Chinese herbs, among other treatments. Its website claims there is evidence and research to show the therapies can cure or slow the progression of tumors and improve quality of life for patients. Consumer Affairs Victoria successfully appealed the previous court ruling. The appeals court found the claims made by Mr. Campbell were misleading and deceptive and breached fair trading laws. Mr. Campbell denied he ever claimed to cure cancer, saying, We've claimed in 8 out of 10 patients there's improvement of good quality of life. Victoria's Minister of Consumer Affairs, Michael O'Brien, has welcomed the court's decision. The court has confirmed that Mr. Campbell, who has no medical qualifications beyond dentistry, traded in false hope through his flimsy and scientifically unsound medical methods, at times taking tens of thousands of dollars from the terminally ill. Also in Australia, a young Ugandan boy received a life-saving operation after being mutilated during a child sacrifice ritual in his home country. George Mukisa was aged just two and playing with his brothers when a neighbor, John Otebati, offered to take him into town for sweets. Instead, Otebati, a witch doctor, took him to a nearby banana plantation and removed his genitals with a knife. In Uganda, children live in fear of child sacrifice driven by unscrupulous witch doctors who claim they can bring power, prosperity and money. A report last year described the crime as a relatively recent phenomenon that was not part of traditional culture. 
According to the research, greed and a growing middle class in Uganda have fueled the demand for child sacrificial rituals during which the youngsters' organs, blood and limbs are used after they have been killed. George survived that brutal day in February 2009 only because passers-by heard his cries and interrupted Otebati who fled, leaving George in a pool of blood. Moved by the story, Dr. David Winkle and a plastic surgeon, Scott Ingram, performed a life-changing operation to reroute George's urethra. They also revised previous reconstructive surgeries to make George look completely normal. Lieutenant General Kaihura, the Inspector General of the Ugandan Police, said his force had defeated the threat of child sacrifice after forming a task force in 2009. There were 15 reported cases in 2009, 9 in 2010 and 7 last year, police statistics show. These figures, however, have been criticized. And now for some news in science. In April 2011, a paralyzed woman named Kathy Hutchinson lifted a cup for the first time in nearly 15 years using a robotic arm controlled by her thoughts. Hutchinson was paralyzed when she suffered a stroke that damaged her brain, cutting her motor functions off from the rest of her body. She was left unable to speak or move. For her and other tetraplegics, people who have lost the use of their arms and legs, hundreds of small tasks are beyond their reach. Amputees run into similar problems as they currently have to use ungainly prosthetics. A project called BrainGate 2 might get us closer to the day when prosthetic or robotic arms could give people their limbs back. It's the first clinical trial of a brain-controlled robotic limb in humans, according to John Donahue, a neuroscientist at Brown University and the Department of Veterans Affairs. Donahue is one of the lead investigators in the trial, whose results are being published in this week's issue of the journal Nature. The number one desire of many patients is getting back the arm movement, Donahue said. The brain gate is directly connected to the human motor cortex. A tiny array of 96 electrodes is attached to the part of the motor cortex that controls the arm. Those electrodes send signals through a cable to a computer. The computer decodes the signal into specific movements executed by the robot arm. The system isn't yet practical for everyday use. A cable is attached to the patient's head, and the computer that processes the signals is still the size of a dorm room refrigerator. Donahue said the goal is to shrink the processing computer enough so that it is implantable, or at least wearable. A bloody steak or char-grilled burger may be just what evolution ordered to bulk up a man's muscles in preparation for a big game hunt. But even today, both men and women tend to view the protein as masculine and macho, finds a new study. The results may explain why men are less likely than women to eat vegetables and instead choose foods that match their macho self-image, the researchers said. To the traditional, strong, macho, bicep-flexing, all-American male, red meat is a strong, traditional, macho, bicep-flexing, all-American food, write the researchers. The research also offers some advice for nudging men to eat more veggies. For a wife or company trying to get guys to eat more plant-based protein instead of meat, one of the things this research indicates is that you probably need to make that protein appear to be more meat-like, said study researcher Brian Wansick, director of the Cornell University Food and Brand Lab. So you need to take that soy burger and put grill marks on it, he added. An American astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts arrived at the International Space Station, kicking off a four-month stay aboard the orbiting laboratory. Russian Soyuz spacecraft carrying NASA astronaut Joe Akaba and cosmonauts Gennady Padalka and Sergei Revin docked with the space station at 4.36 GMT on Thursday. 
Everything went very smoothly, very well, Padalka radioed the Russian Federal Space Agency's Mission Control Center in Moscow just after docking. For Akaba, the docking came as a welcome birthday present to mark his 45th birthday. The three new arrivals will live and work aboard the space station for four months, returning to Earth in mid-September. All will serve as flight engineers under Kononenko, the commander of the Expedition 31 mission. Akaba has visited the station once before in 2009, and he said he's really looking forward to helping advance our knowledge of how to live and work for long periods off the planet. Living aboard the station will be even more novel for Revin, who had never been to space before Monday's launch. Padalka, on the other hand, is an experienced space flyer with two long stints on the station under his belt. He will become commander of the station's new Expedition 32 mission when Kononenko, Petit and Clippers leave in July. Almost all of North America will undergo a weird and dramatic event late Sunday afternoon on the 20th of May as a partial eclipse of the sun will be visible and for most it will coincide with the sunset. Only for places northwest of a line running roughly from San Diego to Winnipeg will the eclipse be visible from start to finish before the sun sets. Elsewhere, depending on where you are, if your sky is clear, the setting sun will appear slightly dented, deeply crescent-shaped or even ring-shaped. The eclipse will begin in China but in parts of eight western states, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico and Texas, viewers will have a front row seat to witness the rare and exciting spectacle of an annual solar eclipse or ring eclipse. Unfortunately, for those living to the east of a line running approximately from Panama City to Burlington, the sun will set before the eclipse begins, so those along the heavily populated eastern seaboard will miss out on seeing the solar show. But you will still be able to view the eclipse online via webcasts planned by the SLU Space Camera website and others. And now, in news from Romania, we learned that the case of former Minister of Education Ioan Mang, accused of plagiarizing several scientific papers, will no longer be formally investigated by the Romanian Academy. The president of the Romanian Academy, Ionel Haiduc, has explained that since Mang has quit his official position within the government, the case no longer concerns the institution he runs. Former Minister of Education Ioan Mang has been accused of plagiarizing works of other researchers, including copy-pasting a paper that was incorrect and never ended up being published as initially released. Mang has denied accusations, claiming the whole scandal was merely a political attack. This was Miruna for The Skeptical Reporter. This show was recorded today, the 18th of May, 2012. Thank you for listening.